to Adaptivist Live, the Atlassian Ecosystem Podcast. Today, news from Atlassian and more. My name's Ryan Spilkin, and I'm joined by Matthew Stubblefield and our special guest, Evan Golden. Matthew, Evan, hello. Hello, Ryan. (laughs) Good to see you, as always. A pleasure. Brenda can't be here today because she got a new cat and has to, you know, play with the laser pointer. So, on to the news. First things first. Atlassian has just released Confluence 6.10. And in this release, there's a feature that Matthew has been waiting for since he was a little boy. Matthew, tell us about it. (laughs) In my wee youth, uh, around uh, 2007, I started working with Confluence. And for any Confluence admin, when you first go to do, do an upgrade one of the features you look for is the ability to kind of lock it down and make it where nobody can write changes to it. And then you, you do your upgrade and that way you, you know, you know that your backups are good. And if you need to restore, you're not going to lose anything. Uh, this hasn't existed until now as of 26 June, 2018, we've got confluence 610 with read only mode. Unfortunately it is in data center only. So for those of you with server, uh, you know, this is the way Lassian has been going. It seems uh, with the these high end features um, going to data center instead of server. Of course, if you're on cloud, Lassian handles the upgrades for you. They're continually rolling out, so it's not something you need to worry about either way. Uh, but yeah, read only mode in data center, very exciting. Um, it comes with a sort of a built in banner message in the UI, which is nice. That's how we typically did it in the past. We just put up a banner message and tell people, please don't write any changes. If you do, they will be lost between these hours. But you know. <laughs> It's nice to see this in data center. Because you know how carefully every user reads warning messages. <laughs> and I like, I like that they've improved search. I mean, search has never been terrible in Confluence, but the new, the new additions that hyphens don't break the search, you can, you can ignore special characters. Um, that's, that's pretty sweet. I mean, it just, just kind of makes things go a little faster at times. It's, it's near and dear to my heart. I actually have a friend in Senegal right now. And uh, so now if I wanted to write about what she's doing on Confluence, I could use the appropriate accent marks over the E's. Interesting for Confluence users out there. If, are you on Data Center? Let us know how 6.10 goes for you. There's some cool usability changes that have come to Atlassian Cloud in the last week as well. And I like to start with Confluence because we've already started on, you know, we, we've already been on Confluence. In I like Conf- to start with the thing we've already started with. Yeah, we're starting again with the thing we did. This message brought to you by the Redundancy Department of Redundancy. I like that now you can invite people in to edit with you. That's a nice feature. Just reach out to a coworker and say, hey, come, come grab this with me. Let's take a look at it. So, I mean, for me, Ryan, uh, it's I find this quite interesting because – We've 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 enabled the collaborative editing, which has always been a big win for a lot of a lot of customers who have been really wanting that for a long time. And now, what you get is not only the ability to share a link to a page uh, and then 
you know, then obviously your teammate would have to click edit to collaboratively edit with you. You can actually invite them directly. Uh, so you enter an email address, send them a link, and then they come in and they just work with you directly, similar to what you'd see in potentially a Google Docs. You know, I didn't actually catch that bit. That is awesome. Um, <clears throat> they've also made some other improvements to the uh, dra- the the drafting experience with being able to see the drafts that you've recently worked on and discarding changes. I, I can't tell you how many times I have published a page just to look at it and go, ah, and then fix it. And then, so instead now having, having the ability to see the changes and then go, no, that's crap. I can't, I can't save that. I can't possibly save that is, is quite a nice add on. I mean, preview was there before Ryan, the button was always there. It was, no, it wasn't. Was it? Yeah. What they've done with this change to the menu is made it harder to accidentally delete your page. Um, because a draft is always saved regularly in the background. But if you choose to close the page without saving, if you do, if you hit that delete dialogue, then the draft's gone and you can't recover it. Um, so by making some very small changes to the UI and the user experience here, um, they've made it a lot safer to work with these pages. And they've added more functionality directly into the editing experience. So instead of having to... Um, you know, as you were saying, instead of having to save the page and then compare changes, you can you can actually do a little bit of reversion and looking at some stuff uh, while you're working on unpublished changes. So you can roll stuff back uh, instead of having to save and then revert to a previous version. Very useful. Now, if they could just get it to where I could see inline comments while I'm editing, that would be super sweet. That would be yeah. lasting if you're listening. Uh, Please be able to to have the comments in a sidebar while editing would be huge choice much much needed um and lastly for the big cloud notes um you're now finally able to customize the customer invitation email with service desk i think this is one of those things where it's it's kind of like a nice to have um i i would i would imagine a lot of customer interviews from the last perspective people were like i really wish i could do this uh and this is this is a a great addition Uh, for those of you who uh, haven't dug into this in service desk the notification emails that go out through to, to customers through Service Desk are formatted using a code called Velocity. Uh, the Service Desk interface for it, it uses a variety of drag and drop menus. It's very approachable, relatively easy, um, and now you're going to be able to do that with uh, with the customer creation or invitation email, which is really nice. If you want to learn more about Velocity, if you want to learn how to do more of it yourself, uh, Lasting has some documentation on it uh, that covers that. For a really comprehensive tutorial, uh, head on over to learn.adaptivist.com. We've got a comprehensive class on Jira Service Desk. Fair warning, it is written for Jira Service Desk server, uh, but our, our velocity notes and uh, pretty much server and cloud are almost identical for Service Desk. There's not really any difference there. So the, the training will be helpful for you over at learn.adaptivist.com. All right. And a bit of a, a little bit of just a heads up. Uh, a little bit of a public service for you from Adaptivist Live. If you are working in cloud and you intend to be moving over to a server or data center anytime soon, please be aware that you cannot take independent projects from cloud into any of the self-hosted options. Now, Ryan, we're recording this on the 4th of July. So by an independent project, do you mean an American project? Yes, 
I mean a hot dog eating, beer drinking American <laughs> project. So yeah, you can't you can't move those over. Have we have we run into that in the wild? Uh, we have actually. One of our consultants was doing a migration uh, from cloud to server. It was failing regularly, and that was when this really came to our attention. He was researching why is this breaking. So um, those of you on cloud, independent projects are one. We we actually talked about this a few weeks ago. Uh, these are the projects created with the agility template. Oh. Agility projects, which is a relatively new addition to uh, Jira Cloud. And if you've created an agility project, which is also referred to as a quote-unquote independent project, um, yeah, migrating to server doesn't work uh, because these don't exist on server. There is no agility board. There's no independent project on server at this time. Uh, we will link to uh, Atlassian has a blog post about how to enable independent projects, uh, which will tell you what those are. And then we will also link to the suggestion uh, that was submitted to Atlassian. It wasn't submitted as a bug. It was submitted as a suggestion titled unable to generate backup. <laughs> so the suggestion is, it would be nice if this worked. <laughs> Evan, have you messed with an agility board? You know, I have not yet, actually. Um, I've done a lot of work in cloud for customers recently, but nothing with the independent projects or the agility boards. Are you, oh, Okay. All right. So listeners, if you have experience with agility projects, if you've actually been working with one, um, we would like to hear from you. We just want to we want to know what the experience is like and wh- what you're getting out of of that. So drop us a line at learn at adaptivist.com. Moving on, let's talk a little bit more about data center. You know, like we did earlier. Uh, we're going to talk. We're going to move on to talk more about the thing we talked about earlier. Oh, I see a theme here. <laughs> uh, so some of our viewers may be uh, familiar with Atlassian's data center readiness program. Uh, this is something that uh, Lassie has been running with add-on developers or app developers. We call them apps now because uh, we like to rebrand every two years for some reason. Of course. And uh, <laughs> Jarek Influence apps. Uh, Lassie wants them to be you know, data center ready. And I, you, know, you all have heard us say before, none of us who do this podcast are developers. Um, we're, we're not actually making the apps. But my understanding is... Data center readiness means, you know, these apps are proven to work at scale. You know, we know that they'll scale out, that they work with high availability, that they work with all of the technology that's needed for data center customers. And so Atlassian is working with uh, app developers to help them make, you know, their apps data center ready. And that effectively means from Atlassian's perspective, standardizing what that means. What does it mean to be data center ready? From Adaptivist perspective, we are making our apps data center ready. But Adaptivist is also partnering with Atlassian on the data center readiness project. And kind of independently, we are running our own data center research. So what we're asking of you all, if you use data center, uh, please reach out to us. We would love to talk to you. We want to understand your environment. We want to make sure that uh, our apps like Script Runner, Project Configurator, Test Management for Jira, the other 30-something things <laughs> that we make, that they'll, they'll continue to work for you. Um, and even if you're not an Adaptivist customer, you just listen to this, maybe you don't have any of our apps, that's totally fine. We just want to understand your environment better. So please, uh, if you're a data center customer, uh, reach out. We'll have the email address uh, and the link to the blog post in our SoundCloud notes, but it is apps-team at adaptivist.com 
regarding the the state of data center report that we're and, and research that we're putting together. So, guys, I'm curious. We we have already been over how cloud gets. Um, you know, Atlassian is managing it, so it gets changes constantly, and data center is being enhanced significantly, and they're preparing for it to scale even broader. What does this mean for server in your estimation? I mean, for me, Ryan, I think I think server is just fine. I, I I still believe, and Matthew, correct me if I'm wrong, that it is their most popular version of the tools at this point in terms of like how many users they have and things of that nature. So it, it seems more to me that they're they're doing the changes in the other platforms to get more energy driven towards those platforms because server is in such good health at this point. Oh. Yeah, one of one of the things that I I am finding challenging um, with the feature rollout to data center is, in, in my estimation, many customers, many Atlassian companies or, or companies using Atlassian software don't. I was going to say they don't need data center. That's becoming increasingly not true. <laughs> more and more, they do need data center because features they need are becoming data center only. But in terms of operating scale, like I've worked with customers with 40,000 users on Confluence running on server just fine. Like yep. they're very large, they're multinational, you know, they're operating across 15 different time zones, but their system's running fine. They, they don't need data center to meet their needs. Um, but increasingly the feature set's going to push them that way. Um, and and maybe that's okay. Like there is a lot, there are a lot of benefits for going to data center, but it's it is making it harder for me to say, you know, stick with server, which reduces your license cost um, because your your system's performing well. Data center is becoming less about performance and more about feature set, uh, and it's an enterprise level feature set, and so it's shifting that conversation a bit. Um, I think what it's going to do is server is going to be more for the um, small to medium enterprise, which is typically defined, you know, small is less than 500, medium is like 500 to 2000, something like that. I don't remember what the, the formal definitions are, but like, you know, you've got one or two JIRA admins, you can tolerate um, downtime for upgrades, um, you know, things like that. If you're a large enterprise where you need 100% uptime, where you need read-only uh, during certain periods of time, you know, that's more about feature set than it is performance. Uh, so it's, it's moving out of the, the clustering high availability performance section and moving more towards enterprise features for stability and uptime. All right. So that's, that's what we've got for the updates today. Moving on to a little bit of analysis, a great post on the Atlassian blog. What do people really want from team chat? I'll tell you what I really want from team chat guys. Party parrot. That's re- <laughs> that's all. Everybody, I everybody I, wants party parrot, Ryan. Um, and a party parrot was all we needed. Then you know we just use Slack. But <laughs> <laughs> Matthew, you've been using Slack recently. You've you've had I to. Have. You have. To. I have. I, I I got back into Slack recently, and I'm loving it. I'm loving the threading. Um, it is just so much easier to catch up on messages. I'm finding in Slack and the, the way that it, it, it does the replies. But this, this guide that we're looking at is uh, actually on stride.com. And Stride is Atlassian's new instant messaging app uh, that is, um, has both come out and is coming out. 
Uh, it's, I don't feel like it's fully baked yet, but it's, it's coming along. And they've done some really interesting research here. Yeah, they have. Uh, I actually really enjoyed this article. Um, and particularly because I'm a remote worker and a lot of us are remote workers here at Adaptivist. Uh, the team I work on, uh, we're actually all four of us are in different states and, uh, multiple time zones. And chat has become just a very, very important tool for us, uh, you know, as a squad and also as a large team at Adaptivist, which cross many, many more time zones. Uh, some of the stats, though, that I found extraordinarily interesting are that out of the people surveyed, and I think it was over 1,300, Ryan, um, 71% of them felt more connected because they use chat. And, you know, I, I've been in the workforce for a long time and, you know, using things like email and and even before that, you know, uh, phone and pen and paper. Uh, chat has really been revolutionary for for those types of things. Uh, people feel more efficient. They feel more productive. Uh, one of the challenges, though, is they also feel in many ways overworked and particularly overworked means that, uh, you know, that they're always online. We're not a nine to five shop anymore. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. I find myself sometimes checking into to hip chat after hours. I mean, of course, and this is partly because I just like everybody and our main room sometimes diverges way off topic and it can be really entertaining. Yep. But I shouldn't be working like like I shouldn't. I should stop. But it's there. It's on my phone. And, oh, you know, I'm. I got a minute to kill. I can't, you know, the kids are doing, the kids are running around. I just see what's going on at the, oh, oh no, now I'm looking at messages about work and now I'm thinking about work. That's the and hard it's part. So, it's so easy to get into that. Like I typically get up at 630 in the morning, feed the dog, feed the cats, grab my iPad. And here's all my hip chat notifications because people in the UK started work six hours ago. And so it's, you know, I've got a big backlog of stuff. Uh, and it's, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to get away from that. I've actually found myself in the morning. I'll make a cup of coffee. I'll grab a paper book and I'll sit down and read for half an hour to an hour away from everything because that's, otherwise I end up working from six 30 in the morning until you you pass know, out. five thirty six at night. Yeah. Because it's just, there's messages coming in all the time. Well, they actually say in an article here that six out of 10 chat users will respond to chats off hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so one of the things one of my mentors taught me recently is, or more recently than, than I would have liked, I guess, uh, for, you know, in terms of, in terms of how long it took me to learn this myself, uh, is, is to turn off my notifications after hours. And, uh, and so, cause chat is everywhere and you put it on any platform and you, you're always responding to it. Ryan, like you said, you know, we, we like the people we work with. So we're always in conversations that are not necessarily work, but work can creep in there sometimes. And yeah. then it, and we're re-engaged. I do like in, in this article, it also mentions, and, and this might be important for our listeners, 81% of workers, they're, they're interested in receiving guidance about how and when to use the tool. That could really set some boundaries. Like, look, yeah. if you want to jump on and talk World Cup, okay. But man, leave the work out. Like, but at the same time, it's hard, not, it's hard when that's the room that's dedicated for that purpose. I think it's important for managers to, to do two things. One, they need to be clear with their employees what those expectations are. And I think it's really important for managers, tell your employees, don't look at chat. Don't open email. Don't respond to this stuff. 
Like it's 6 p.m. It's Saturday, whatever. Stop, get off. And then number two, as the manager, don't do it yourself. <laughs> because when you're sending messages and uh, sending things out or replying to things or people see that, um, it, it sets an, uh, an expectation. And people start thinking like, oh, you know, I know they said don't do it, but, you know, they are. Maybe they expect me to. Maybe if I want to be promoted someday, I have to do that. Maybe the rules are different. If, if we want our, our employees and our teams to feel empowered to separate their personal life and their work life in those hours, then management executives, you've got to do it too. You've, you've got to walk that walk. You've got to model that. Amen to that. And if you'd like to talk more about this topic, we'll meet you on Stride. Oh, wait. <laughs> Someday. <laughs> Only in working hours, though. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Last article of the day. Another from the Atlassian blog, and it's a question. Can industry events crack the diversity code? What is the diversity code? What, what, what does that even mean? You know, it's funny. As, as we were talking about uh, this before we started recording, I was like, I feel like the title's a little leading or disingenuous because it's just a long blog post of like, here's all the ways that it can be done. So like the answer is clearly yes. Yeah, Why course. ask the question? But then Ryan, you asked, what is the diversity code? And I went, oh, ooh, what is the diversity? Is it, it involves a secret historical lineage of kings, mm-hmm. and it's all buried in a museum in France. But really what it is, is bringing people from all walks of life, race, gender, all of those things, together in one place to not only learn about what a, com- what a company is doing, right? It's an industry event. You're going you're gonna to get some corporate messaging, but also to deeper embed themselves into that culture. And I, I got to say, even though this, this article is, you know, come to summit, it is, it's definitely saying that Atlassian does do a wonderful job of trying to account for those. And I learned something from this article. I learned about blind auditions and blind speaker submissions. I had no idea about those before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ryan, you actually you hit the nail on the head with that one. It it's it's bringing people together that may otherwise have different interests uh, with a common interest, and then also to learn and grow from each other. Uh, and and I really enjoyed it because you know it talked about the blind speaker submissions. Uh, the other bits that I that I liked was it talks about the different um, things that they do at their events uh, to accommodate you know, people that have different needs like the parental rooms or the meditation rooms and uh, things like that. They also talked about uh, how they have more, a, lar- a larger uh, sizing of swag in terms like that, you know, because you go to a lot of events and they might have certain sizes or certain fits, but Alaskan tries to accommodate all. So it, it's much appreciated. And I think it speaks a lot about their culture. And I, I, agree. I mean, I've been to the diversity in tech program several times. I enjoy it. It's, it's really important to hear stories and hear perspectives that don't come from people who are just like me. Because Matthew and I are already around each other plenty. You know, we don't need to, we don't need to keep that going. I mean, just look at us. Yeah. We just continue to blend together. We don't need more of that. <laughs> no, no. Um, <laughs> the blind speaker submissions, this is something, you know, they cite a thing of uh, blind auditions increasing the number of women playing in professional orchestras, um, which I find fascinating. I played in an orchestra when I was younger um, that was majority women uh, rather than men. But this is something I've heard more about in job applications. 
And when there's, uh, when you don't know the name, you don't have a picture, you don't have any identifying information. Um, uh, people of color, minorities, women tend to get more jobs. Uh, and what's really fascinating slash horrifying about it <laughs> is that um, it's like a societal thing. It's not, it's not like, it's not just men discriminating, right? Um, we all do it. We all have these biases that we bring. And the, the horrifying slash like, like the, the part that's really disheartening is that it's mostly, a, in many cases, an unconscious bias. Like that's the really like, this is really hard for us to get past because we sometimes don't realize we're doing it. There are totally people who do realize they're doing it and they're just terrible. Um, <laughs> but there, there are people where it's an unconscious bias. So th- I thought that was interesting. And, and doing a blind speaker submission, doing a, a double blind, you know, anything we can do, that's the right thing to do. Um, Adaptless, actually, we have been changing some of our application stuff to, to um, facilitate that. Uh, and so that's good. The second thing, parents' rooms. As a, as a soon-to-be parent, and uh, I don't know if our, our listeners are aware, but my wife and I are, are having a baby in October, which we're very excited about. And just seeing something like parents' rooms, I think I did have a bit of a subconscious, like, you know, I'm not going to be able to travel as much after we have a baby. These types of events are going to be a lot harder to do. And just seeing that makes me feel like, oh, I'm still welcome there. Like there's still a place for me. And I can immediately picture myself where, you know, walking around uh, at Summit and working at our booth, you know, with a, with a baby. We could do that. Um, so it's. We'd be it, the biggest booth in Summit with a, like guaranteed. With our double baby be there, swan- yeah. Just wanting to look um, at the baby. So um, I think it's, I think it is kind of. Uh, neat talking through all these things, gender inclusive restrooms and pronouns, all these things. They're well worth doing, help people feel included, help them participate. Because like you said, Ryan, you know, we're stronger together. Like the diversity leads to better idea generation, uh, helps figure things out better, brings a wider range of solutions. So yeah, it's also the good. All right. And that's it for this week's edition of Adaptivist Live. Do you have a topic for the podcast or do you want to be a guest? We really do want to hear from you. So email us at learn at adaptivist.com. Interested in coming to a place where you want to check on the company chat just because you like your coworkers so much? Visit joinadaptivist.com. So for Evan Golden and Matthew Stubblefield, I'm Ryan Spilkin, and we'll see you next time on Adaptivist Live. Talk about SQL Server 2016. Do, but do, but should we? <laughs> <laughs>